Amen. All right, good to see all of you. Again, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> and while this Sunday we're, we're, we are actually going to cover verses 25 and 34, uh, I'm going to get us a running start, okay? We're going to start again in verse 19. But all my comments about verses 19 through 24 are in the three previous sermons, okay? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, we're, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to finish chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says to us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, just kind of by way of putting this all together, Jesus' sermon here, which began in chapter 5 and will continue through chapter 7, Jesus is presenting for us, presenting for his hearers, the crowds that are surrounding him as he sits on the mountaintop. He's presenting to them what it looks like to follow him. What does it look like to follow him? What it, what it looks like to forsake this world and live for the world to come. That's what he's putting before us. And he's done so by introducing to us in chapter 5 the, the values of his kingdom. 
we, we know them as the Beatitudes, these virtues that he says, blessed are these people, and, and that, that these who embody poor in spirit, mourning, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are pure in heart, blessed are they. They will find true and lasting happiness, he says. He explains later on that true righteousness in, in the sight of God is actually expressed through a, a genuine love of others. But as the beginning of chapter 6 tells us, that such love for others is actually an overflow of the love that we've experienced from the Father. And it's this latter part that we've spent a lot of our time with over the last several Sundays. Jesus is calling us and and enticing us and appealing to us to find our love and our joy, the satisfaction of our souls in the Heavenly Father. That's what He's appealing to us to do. And it is this love which actually propels us, Jesus says, uh, to give to the needy, to, to pray and even to fast, things that He is expecting His disciples to do. However, everything that Jesus has called us to in this sermon can be summarized in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be added. This admonition to seek the kingdom of God encapsulates Jesus' appeal to us to submit to the Father's loving rule, His, His perfect rule, and to give our hearts fully to Him. He wants us to see, to behold, to believe that the Father is more satisfying and rewarding than anything this world may offer. That's what He's wanting to entice you with. You think the things that you long for are so great. Actually, there's the one who all good things flow from. And once you behold his beauty, Jesus is arguing, you'll gladly exchange a way of living for the temporary treasure of this world and for following Christ and living for an eternal treasure in his kingdom. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen that seeking the kingdom involves at least four things. Seeking the kingdom is to prioritize heaven over earth, generosity over greed, and God over money. However, Jesus understands our weakness. He understands uh, the deceptiveness of our own hearts, that like a child... We're so easily distracted by the things that catch our eye, right? He knows doubts are going to creep in. If I, if I take Jesus at his word, there's doubts, there's worries, there's concerns. And some of these doubts are, are is this really worth it, Jesus? Because it seems that I'm going to miss out if I go all in on you, if I put all my eggs in your basket. He understands that there is a great temptation for each and every one of us to believe the lie that if we follow him, 
if we give our lives wholly to him, that our life will end in disappointment. He knows that's our fear. He knows that's our concern. And so that leads to the fourth way of prioritizing the kingdom, that is prioritizing trust over worry. At the end of the day, Jesus is saying, you must trust me. I have been describing the virtues of my kingdom. I've been describing what that looks like in practicality and what it truly would look like for a community of people to love one another. And I want you to know that that love has come from my heavenly Father and bestowed it to his children. He's describing this kingdom. And so he says, let's go after it. And we say, but, but, but what am I going to eat? We're like Israel in the wilderness. Yeah, I hear about this land of promise, but what are we going to drink? Did you just lead us out here to die? And as Pastor Brian read for us, do not forget that I am leading you in such a path that you may learn that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of my mouth. And just like Israel of old who did not suffer lack of food, did not suffer lack of drink, and even their shoes did not wear out. Neither will he forsake you and I as he brings us into his glorious kingdom. That's what we have to remember. And so Jesus wants us to prioritize trust. Trust my heavenly Father, Jesus says. Don't worry about these things and don't worry about the necessities of life. And we're going to talk about what that, that looks like and what those things are. Rather, this is what Jesus wants us, wants from us. To make the kingdom your priority in life. To order your entire life around the kingdom. So that you actually will not become overcome with worry. And disappointment. But that you will find your ultimate and lasting satisfaction in the Father. That's what he's getting after. You're worried about not being satisfied. I'm telling you those things won't satisfy. Come follow me. That's what he's getting after. And so this is all about trust. Worry. I mean, it's one thing to say, stop worrying. But, but I need something to anchor my soul upon. I need something to, to latch on to. Do you not realize I'm drowning here? I need a, a life preserver. I need a boat to come rescue me. I need someone to, to, to wrap up and feel secure. And so Jesus says, let me give you seven reasons you can trust my heavenly Father. I want to give you something to, to lay hold of. Seven reasons to trust that the heavenly Father will sustain us until he brings us into his kingdom. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And the first is that we must trust that the Father is life. The Father is life. Jesus begins in verse 25 by giving his command. He says, not to be anxious about the basic necessities of life. And he, and he lists them. He, he says, food, drink, and clothing. Now, now, enlisting these things... He's speaking of kind of two different categories. The food and drink are those things that we put into our body, that sustain us, that, that we associate with life, right? If I don't eat, I die. If I don't drink, I die, right? And then there's those things that sustain us from the outside. That's the clothing. It protects the outside of our, our body. 
Well, in keeping this list of necessities rather short, don't think for, for a moment that Jesus is discounting the need for housing, health care in our context, education, transportation. He's speaking categorically here. He's talking about the things that are necessary to function in life. We'll find elsewhere that Paul talks about food and shelter as the bare necessities, if you will. I have been watching Jungle Book, or at least my daughter has. I guess that came out. Jesus isn't trying to give you this limited list and say, just be content if you got bread and water and some clothes on your back. He's talking about the necessities for you to function as a human in society. That's far less than I think that we typically think it entails. But Jesus wants to present to us, why do you worry about all those things that in your mind are, are the necessities to live, right? Well, because I want to live, Jesus. Why, why can't I worry about those things? Jesus acknowledges these are real needs. These are real concerns in our life. But Jesus also wants us to put them in a proper perspective. He asked this rhetorical question at the end of verse 25. Is not life, follow him, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? In other words, isn't there more to life than your basic necessities? The reason you want health care isn't because you find your joy in health care, is it? Is that what you said? All I want for Christmas is my health care. Because that will just make me so happy to go to the doctor all the time. I've been to the doctor. Most of the people look pretty miserable in that lobby. I don't want to be there. It's a necessity. I want to get out so I may live, right? It's a means to life. It isn't life itself. You don't eat. His goal of life is just to eat. You get full. But you eat in order to fulfill life, to be strengthened. So what is Jesus getting at? Life is found in the Father and His kingdom. That's what He's getting at. That's what He even says, it's not the body more than clothing. He's anticipating there's, there's resurrection. There's resurrection. There's a greater life than you realize. You wear nice clothes because you want to experience life comfortable. You don't just wear nice clothes and sit on your couch. You do something. He says, you know deep down all these things that you are just consumed with by worry. What is it that you are so worried about today? Your job? Most people are working for the weekend, right? They don't, they don't find their joy there. They, they find it as a means to find joy. Jesus says, my father is the one you're looking for. You're tunnel vision. You are so consumed with these things, but my Father is life. He is life. You were made for something greater than the base necessities of life. And there is a kingdom, and my Father who, who, who dwells there is the source of all life. When I was a 
preteen, there were these shirts that were everywhere. Some of you who are my age will, will know what I'm talking about. You had your sport, soccer, basketball, baseball, whatever it was, but it said this. Mine was soccer. Soccer is life. The rest is, I guess y'all didn't see the shirts. Details. Details. Maybe that was a Bowling Green thing. I don't know. Soccer's life. The rest, just details. Well, that's not really true. But Jesus can say that. The kingdom is life. My Father is life. The rest of these things, they're just details. Everything comes in perspective if you will see where the fountain begins. The one who is the giver of all life. Oh, you're, you're settling for way too little of things here. And this is the point that Jesus is going to reiterate through the gospel. I want you to just see what he keeps offering us in the gospel. Just, just look over in chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to summarize these. But he likens following him as, as going through the narrow gate, chapter 7, verse 14. And where does the narrow gate lead to? Life. It leads to life. That's, that's the gate. The other gate, the one that says life, leads to death. But the way I'm leading you to is life, right? Not what you want. I've got life. Following Christ in chapter 10, verse 39. It's interesting. He says, lose your life so that you may find it. Find life. Lose your grip upon this world so that you may find life indeed. That's what he gets after. Chapter 18, verses 8 through 9, he talks about the radical nature of, of cutting off sin, the sin that you think gives you life so that you may enter eternal life. Chapter 19, verse 29, following Christ is abandoning all to inherit life. The whole message is about life and living. And then our immediate question is, how am I going to live, Jesus? He's like, that's the whole point. I'm calling you to life. Jesus is asking, why are you worried about the things that sustain your life? I'm calling you to follow me and bring you to the Father of eternal life. I'm talking about life everlasting. These things, they, they only have a temporary lifespan. I'm, I'm bringing you to everlasting life, and you're asking me about temporary life? Do you see what he's getting after? This whole journey I'm leading you on leads to life. So why do you worry about lesser things? Do you think prioritizing the kingdom will end in disappointment for you? Trust me, Jesus said. My Father is life. However, we must also know that our Father, trust that our Father is good. Father is good. Jesus turns his attention then to the creation. And this is no coincidence. He's the one who spoke the world into being. He's the one who upholds it by the word of his power. And we're worried about how you're gonna, how's he going to feed us? Or how's he going to meet my needs? And he turns our attention specifically to the birds of the air. Turns our attention to the birds of the air. 
And he says, look at them. Look at the birds. Ponder their way of living, he gets asked. And I want you to learn about God's goodness to them. Now, this is an animal that most of us don't think much about, right? And there's birds everywhere. Birds flying, making their kind of shapes in the air. Birds hit my window. They die. I don't, I don't think much about it. Sometimes I hit our cars. We go on. Jesus says this, this, this animal that no one really cares about. And he's talking about maybe a raven, a sparrow. Elsewhere he talks about the sparrow who's only worth two pennies. His point is, in their eyes, the bird is insignificant. Insignificant. And he goes, consider them. Look at them. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, these creatures, they don't work like you do. They don't work like you and I do. They don't sow seed. You don't ever see birds sowing seed, right? And you don't see them tilling the ground and picking their harvest. And you don't see them gathering into their barns that they've built. You don't see them doing that. Yet your heavenly Father, verse 26, feeds them. This is Jesus' point. He's not trying to instill laziness. Okay, I don't have to worry. I'll just sit here in my nest, perch, and open my mouth up, and hopefully a worm will drop in. That's not what he's talking about. God has not created the world and then left it to itself. That's what he's getting at. He's the one who feeds the birds. Yes, there's an ecosystem. Yes, there's a, a, a food chain. Rather be the bird than the worm. But what he's wanting us to think about is while these things are just ordinary and we just assume they're going on, he wants us to know that the father of life is the one who sustains all life. He upholds this world together. And he is the one by which his creative design makes sure the bird gets fed every day. Guess what? You're not a bird. You're not goodness. Did you not know that today? You're not a bird. You're the pinnacle of creation. You're made in His image to bear His likeness. And guess what? The Father, the good Father, sent His only Son to die for you. You think He's not going to feed you? Make sure that you have what you need to function. Are you not more valuable than the birds, Jesus says? God the Father is good to his children whom he loves. I already mentioned this passage, but if you go on to chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, Jesus expounds upon the goodness of the Father. This is still the same sermon. So he's anticipating this. And he says to the crowd, he says to us, and which one of you, if his son, he's likening the father, you're, you're in the position of a father, if his son asks him for bread, you'll say, let's give him a stone. How you like that? It's like no father does that. 
Or he asked for a fish. Now, you, you might like not like fish, okay. Put in there a, a cheeseburger, pizza, what, whatever it is you, you like. You go to your father. What father, a child comes and asks him for something to eat, says, let me give you a snake. Notice what Jesus goes on. He says, you then who are evil. Evil, evil people don't do this. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give you good things who ask him? Did he not already teach us how to ask him for bread? Did he not ask, already teach us to pray, Lord, meet my needs today? Meet my needs this week? The things that you are so worried about, I'm not saying they're not real concerns. Jesus isn't saying they aren't. But do you go to your heavenly Father because you know He's the source of life and you know He's good and He wants to give good gifts to His children? Or will we find that you're just like the Gentiles and live as if there is no God who cares for you? The Father's good and guess what? He's not out to harm you. He's out to care for you. And we can trust that God will give us what is good for us. Let me say that again. We can trust that God will give us what is good for us. Sometimes we don't know what that is. Just like my children don't know what that is. I want it now. And their world is consumed. I need this. And sometimes it's not a bad thing. It's just, hey. Dinner's in 30 minutes. You don't need an apple now. Apple's not bad. Just, I know more than you. And I know you're hungry now. Just wait. But you will call that into question if you don't think he's good. If you don't think he's the one of life, you, you won't live like that. And, and so if we know that God is good and he gives good gifts to his children, he he never gives us the snake. He never gives you the stone. He never, he never tricks you. Pray and ask me for good things and let me just ruin your life. That's not how he operates. Wow, there's some great freedom there. If you need it to function and to seek his kingdom, your father will meet that need. Might not meet it the way you want, but he'll meet that need. Think Israel in the wilderness, wandering through the land, rumbling, complaining, we're going to die. No, you're not. Unless I kill you. I mean, that ends up happening, but we're in Christ. We have better things. We, we had this benediction last Sunday. Do you believe this? No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or you think there's an exception clause except for me? Except for me, he always withholds good things. I, I bet if you will think through your life, doesn't mean it's trouble-free. He's going to talk about trouble. But he sustained you when you thought, I can't do this. And yet, voila, you're still alive. You're still here. Maybe, maybe he knows more than you do. Perhaps. Jesus has told us that our Heavenly Father is life and he's good. But we also trust that he's sovereign. He's sovereign. Jesus turns our eyes to the greatness of God's sovereignty and so reminds us actually of our futile attempts at controlling our own life. See that in verse 27? 
It's almost like a side comment. Okay, you don't believe me? By the way, what good has being anxious done for you? You see what he says there? And which one of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? When you worry, when you're, you're fretting, and it tears you apart, what do you think it's accomplishing? What's it doing for you? The reality is, Jesus says, worry never adds to your life, but it sure does take away from it. Worry never adds to your life, but it sure will steal your life. Because actually, when it comes down to it, it's a lack of trust. And your life's miserable. And some of you know that. You are gripped by worry. Because you see these things and you say, I just can't believe it. Can't believe it. Jesus' point is this. Why are you worrying about that which is out of your control? Do you think that you are the one who controls what day you live and what day you die? That's what he's really getting out of it. And that's what we're worried about. I can't live without this. Yeah, here we are. How many times have we said that? And yet, here we're alive. But some of you, I know, this is where we can be kind and gracious and bring great comfort. It's where experienced saints can come alongside those who are weak in the faith, who don't see these things, and remind them, I have been in the valley, while it may not be your valley, but I have been there and I've seen the goodness of the Lord. And let me even remind you of His goodness towards you, where I've seen your life long enough to see where you thought this was the end of your road, and yet here you are. Do you, have you learned that lesson? Maybe the Lord wants to humble you and to teach you you actually aren't as in control as you think you are. And your greatest problem's you. That's what he's wanting to get to our attention. Coming back to the birds, chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus says, do not fear about your life. This is, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's interesting. Every time you hit a bird with your car, that was under God's sovereign hand. That bird flopped. Every time you clean that window and that bird, boom, he's nailing it till it nails its head dead. It did not fall apart from God's sovereign hand. In other words, nothing dies when, until God says it's time to die goes on, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The thing that we don't give any consideration to, God does, and yet He knows us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. Do you know how many hairs are on your head? He knows you better than you know you. And you won't die Till he says you'll die. So stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about it, Jesus says. Doesn't mean he's advocating irresponsibility. He's assuming you'll work and you'll toil and you'll seek the things, just you won't make them primary. You'll seek his kingdom primary. But what happens is we say, no, 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 this is my life. And he says, no, it's not. And you have prioritized those things, and has it made your life any better? Has it added to your life or has it actually just taken away from it? I'd venture to say we all know. Mm. 
Sometimes I've made myself miserable. I've made myself sick over things that are absolutely out of my control. This is where we exercise the muscle of faith. Fourthly, we trust that the Father is purposeful. So it's not just that God's in control, but actually has a purpose. There's a plan, and I can trust Him. If you just start looking at these, life, good, sovereign, purposeful, and you begin to understand and see who your Heavenly Father is, oh, there is great freedom from being cumbersome by worry. Not only is He sovereign over our life, but He's purposeful. He has a purpose for it. He has a purpose in how He's going to sustain you. A purpose for how He's going to lead you into His kingdom. Jesus turns our attention away from the sky and now to turn down to the ground. And He says, consider. Consider. Ponder. Think about. Meditate upon. And consider the lilies of the field. He directs ourselves to the flowers. He'll he'll kind of even include grass at this point. He says, I want you to consider how do they grow? You want to grow? You want to sustain? You want to have a vibrant life? How do lilies grow? Well, they do less than birds. They do less than birds. They don't toil. They, They don't labor. They don't fly around and try to find worms. No, they they just sit there. I don't know if you ever noticed that. They don't move. And neither do they spin. I'm not talking about those wind flowers that toys that you, little colors. He's just talking about a flower. He's talking about the spinning of the needle. He's talking about clothing. They don't even try to make clothes. They don't go shopping. You go shopping, right? Okay. These don't even shop. And yet your father clothes them with such striking beauty. Beauty that not even Solomon, and Solomon was the greatest king of Israel, most rich and wealthy king of Israel. He wasn't even arrayed like one of these flowers. We watch those BBC, you know, the planet Earth stuff, and they do the vegetation and the flowers, and you just see those vibrant colors. No artist can even come close. This is who your father is. This is who your father is. And again, sovereignty and providential care are highlighted here. He's the one who causes the flowers to bloom with vibrancy, yet, yet, verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? God in His sovereign care over creation, the Father of life, the good Creator God, who's sovereign and has a purpose for all things. Flowers He creates with such beauty and vibrancy are here for a moment, but then they're just used for fuel for the oven. In those days, they would take grass and flowers and they'd throw it in the oven to fuel, to start a fire, to create bread. It had a purpose in that day. I've got some flowers. Joni and Charlie Eisler gave them to me about two years ago. They're on the side of my house. Every year I know spring is coming and uh, they, they start sprouting up. And they're, they're different colors, orange, yellow. I forgot what the other one is, but they're, they're different colors. But no sooner that I notice, I come back around and boom, they're wilted, dead. 
The heat comes and they burn up. They're gone. I'll see them next year. They die. Jesus sets for us a contrast between flowers that are here for a moment and then gone. But this contrast is slightly different than that with the birds. The flowers or the grass of the field, they're temporary and they are, they, their end is burn, fire, by the sun or fuel. You and I, however, we are not temporary. Nobody on this planet is temporary. And our end, if you're a child of God, is not to be burned. We have eternal life in Christ and His kingdom. And so if God protects the, the flowers that are here for just a moment, but then whew, they burn up. If He protects the flowers which have a menial lifespan and have a menial purpose, how much more will our Heavenly Father sustain us for His eternal purposes and glory? That's what Jesus is wanting you to see. He's purposeful. His whole creation is accomplishing His will. And if you are a child of God, you have eternal purposes. He's not going to forget you. He knows the number of hairs on your head or if you don't have hairs on your head. God is in sovereignty working out all things for our good. What, what is our good? Ultimately, our, our sanctification, our glorification, but our joy in Him, a lasting joy, a, a satisfaction in Him. God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in Him. That's what He's working toward. That you, not that you'd be grumbling and, and miserable, but know that you would find your life in Him. And He's working all that so that you will stop seeking to find your life in lesser things that have temporary satisfaction. So if God in His sovereignty is working all things for His good purpose and will, then surely He's also aware of my needs. He's not aloof. He's actively aware of my needs. Actually, He knows them before I even do. But that's what Jesus wants us to see in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? How can I pay the rent? How can I get into school? How can I pass that test? How am I going to make it through this sickness? How am I going to get through? List it. Whatever it is you've said this week. Do not live like that. For the Gentiles live like that. Unbelievers live like that. Because they have no hope. This is the only heaven they will know. But it's the only hell you will. And yet blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows, verse 32, that you need them all. Did you know he, what you need, He knows? Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Need. He knows what medical treatment you need. He knows what food you need. He knows what school you need to get into. He knows what job you need. He knows what relationship needs you have. He knows what emotional needs you have. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. He knows it. And he's utterly aware. 
So when we're anxious about the cares of the world, legitimate cares, legitimate ones, and worry keeps us from resting in the Father, we actually begin to act like unbelievers. By taking matters into our own hands, sometimes sinfully, I need this, so I'm going to do it. I don't care what God says. No, you just decided you're going to live like an atheist. You take matters in your own hands to seek to find the security you're looking for. We begin to act like we don't have a good father who's not only able, but wants to give his children good gifts. But notice the contrast between what the unbeliever seeks, verse 32. They seek after all these things. What these things? The bare necessities. The basics of life. That is their priority. That is what they live for. Verse 33, but what do we live for? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. And all these things that the world is running after for. It's actually listening uh, cloning is coming back. I mean, it's been here. It's just kind of not as, 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 as novel. But in, in China, for $30,000, you can clone your cat. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you can clone your cat. I heard that Barbara Streisand spent over $100,000 cloning all her pets. Why is she doing that? I mean, you could, we can mock all that, but there's a real longing. I want life. I found companionship, but I have to keep cloning. And one day her money will fail her. Her money will fail her. Unless she comes to Christ. And so it will be for you. The things that you think are bringing you the greatest security, if they're not in the Lord, if you're not seeking Him first, it will fail you. And some of you have built your life on sand and it is crumbling down. He's aware, though. He's not an aloof God. He's very much intimately aware of His creation, even the birds and the flowers. How much more you and me? Well, not only does He know what we need, but He provides for us as well. Verse 33. Trust that the Father is provider. So seek first the kingdom. Notice there's a, a first. It doesn't mean... And, and all these other things aren't of absolutely no importance. Give them all up. No, just seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, His way of living in the world, living wise, the stewards of what God has given us. And there's so many implications here. This is not like sitting in your nest just saying, God, do it all. No, you're seeking something. You're actively involved. You're seeking the kingdom and to live in the world the way that God has designed. And all these things will be added to you. What things? The things necessary for you to pursue Him and carry out His kingdom purposes until He calls you home. Until He calls you home. His providence is all over here. I've got a span of life. I don't know what it is. I will die when God is good and ready that I die. Good, I can take that off my worry plate. Every doctor appointment, doesn't matter. I live seeking the kingdom. 
Yes, I'm not saying go, don't go to the doctor. But at the end of the day, if you get the bad news, okay, you got the bad news. Wouldn't that be freeing? To know the Father that intimately. It's so freeing that when well, that thing that you long, that relationship that you long to have, it just seems to be fleeing from your grips. Or that job that you just long to have, you can rest assured that if you're seeking first the kingdom, that he's not going to withhold any good thing from you. And that while you might see, I don't understand why the Father would not give that to me, the same way my child doesn't understand why I won't give them a donut for every meal of the day. Why wouldn't you want me to have this good thing? You sometimes eat the, this donut. Because I know more than you. And how much more our Heavenly Father, who's not evil like me, give us good things? Seek first the kingdom. And he, he says, I will sustain you till I bring you into my kingdom. As long as you need to. Not a sparrow falls from the sky, apart from my hand, and neither will you. That's great freedom. Worry-free. However, we often hold back in giving ourselves to the service of the kingdom because we fear that we'll lack something we need or we'll miss out on something we desire. And that's where Jesus says, do you love me more than these? There are things in our life that we desire and we're like, I cannot live without it. And Jesus says, I want to show you you can. No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. I have to have this. Okay. Come back to me when it fails you. You're still, you're still doing this? You see? But we're to trust that he's the provider. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that we don't have to worry that actually that we'll somehow exhaust God's provision. Did you know that? I think sometimes we think if I give like he calls us to give here, if I give up my time, as he calls me to give my time in prayer and in service to others, I won't have enough time to do what I need. And he says, yeah, seek first the kingdom and I'll show you. Because we're always, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. And he says, I do. I have what you need. In fact, he declares in Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. All the birds on the hills and all that moves in the field are mine. If I were hungry, the Lord says, let's just assume I were like you and I got hungry, I wouldn't even tell you why. For the world and its fullness are mine. And yet we're worried God's going to be stingy with us. He doesn't have enough. If I got to hold back. We're like the Israelites who says there'll be enough manna for you to gather. He who gathers little will have enough and he who gathers much will have enough. But do not keep it over. What do they do? No, 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 I don't trust him. I must hoard more. And it turned into worms and all sorts of awful things. We do the same thing. No, no, Lord, I can't give you this because I know better than you do. I will provide for my needs. And he says, how's that working? How is that working for you? I've got all the endless supply because I am the fountain of life. And all things are sustained through me. Why won't you come to me first? Our Father is the provider and we can trust that he will meet all our needs because he's not one who lacks like we do. We lack. But Father, we can, finally, we can trust that the Father is gracious. He's gracious to us. 
Jesus continues to call us to trust because of God's providential care. We'll see in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus wants you to trust God's providential care, recognizing His sovereign hand, His purposes in all things, working them all for your good. And this even includes the trouble that you're experiencing today. Notice Jesus says your trouble's sufficient. Meaning it, it, it's just what it needs to be that you don't fall away. That's what he's getting at. There's a I think a pious statement, I, I see generations of Christians who hear things and then they think they know better than the tradition that's been handed down. And their silliness that, that, that people say, you know, that's a lie that God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, that's what Jesus says. Maybe we should start reading our Bibles more than just listen to memes on Facebook. That's exactly what he says here. I'll sustain you. Now, that doesn't mean I won't break your soul so you trust me, but I, at the end of the day, I will carry you through. In fact, I'll carry you so far through that you will go through the valley of the shadow of death and I'll bring you through in resurrection. Oh, we've just limited it. We've limited it. Oh, no trouble will happen. No, that's never what he says. No, the trouble will not overtake you if you seek first the kingdom. How is it that those saints of old are able to go to, the, to martyrdom not blink an eye. Not because they were watching Facebook, I can tell you that. Because they were filled and they knew something we don't. Man does not truly live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus says, even today's troubles under his sovereign care, and don't worry about tomorrow, God's got that one taken care of too, and he'll give you the trouble that's just enough. And he's using that to sanctify you, just like Israel in the wilderness. I have, I have led you. Why did he leave them for, for, for 40 days, 40 years? Why didn't he just take the shortcut, if you know the Old Testament, to humble them so that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone? Why, why is it that God just won't make life easy for you? Because you yet, we yet do not trust. But yet he will lead us home. He's gracious. He does not give us more than what we can handle. And so even the trouble that you face right now, and I imagine all of us have some, right? It's under the providential hand of God. And He's gracious not letting today's troubles overtake you, and nor will He let tomorrow's. If you're His children, we can trust that tomorrow's tr troubles will be no more than we can handle by His grace. So what's Jesus getting at as we close? Seek first the kingdom, beloved. And order your life. I want this for my life. I want this for my family. I want this for you. More importantly, our Savior wants this for us. Order your life around the kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. We just sang it. A mighty fortress is our God. His kingdom is forever. Do you, do you listen to those words as you sing? Give yourself wholly to Christ's purposes and advancement of His gospel to the praise of His name and you can rest assured that no matter what the trouble is, that He will sustain you and lead you through it into His joyful presence.
You can rest assured. And He's already done it for you. We just forget. So let me leave you with this question. Where do you lack trust in the Father? Where, where are you lacking trust this morning? Where, what are your objections? Every one of us here is holding back in some measure because we fear the Father won't hold us up. Some of you have been here Sunday after Sunday and you know you need to trust Christ. You know, but you, you keep thinking, but I can't live without that. I know if I go to Christ, I can't continue in my sin. Has it been worth it? It's failed you, hasn't it? He says, trust me, come. Maybe you've come to Christ and, and now you know there are areas in your life that as you've listened to maybe the last four weeks or just in general as you've been studying the Scripture, the Lord's impressing things upon you and you know that there are areas in your life that you have not surrendered to Christ. And why is that? Because you don't trust Him. That you can live without it. But Jesus calls us to follow up, follow Him. And he shows us that while the Father's purposes did lead him to the cross, they ultimately led him out of death into resurrection and glory. And you will die. You will die one day unless Jesus comes back. But here's the promise, he says, seek first the kingdom and I will lead you out of death. I'll lead you out of death. Do you want him to lead you out of death? I hope you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are life. You are good. You are sovereign. You are purposeful. You are aware. You are a provider, and you are gracious. Lord, help us not to forget the abundant riches of your mercy and grace that come to us through Christ Jesus. May we follow him as the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Lord, may we endure the troubles of today, trusting that you hold tomorrow. May our lives are in your hand and you give us every breath that we breathe and every heartbeat that our heart beats. And you fight off every infection until you say, my purpose for you is over. Let us trust that your good hand is upon us. Let us seek your kingdom. And I pray this my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing.